This episode is brought to you by Design Master, the color design resource specializing in providing color solutions to florists and artists. Their sprays are versatile on numerous surfaces. Try using it on fresh flowers, fabrics, ribbon, tule, lace, paper, foam board, you name it. Why do we love it? It's quick drying and light, their sprays are easy to use, and they're an essential coloring tool for us. Find out more about their color products and where to buy them on their website at www.dmcolor.com. Welcome to the Paper Talk podcast, where we have candid conversations with emerging artists and industry leaders about all things paper flowers. Through this podcast, we hope to continue to share knowledge, connect all of us together, and elevate the artistry of each and every one of us. Hello, I'm Quinn Wen. I'm Jesse Chu. I'm Priscilla Park. Our mission is to share, connect, and elevate the paper floral industry. We are some of the voices behind the Paper Floors Collective. Welcome to our podcast, Paper Talk. You're listening to episode 14 of the Paper Talk podcast. Today, we're talking about workshops, how you prepare for your workshop, what do you do during your workshop, your mental process during your workshop, and then how you follow up with your workshop. Hi, everybody. Hi, guys. So today over coffee, we're going to really delve into like, how do you do a workshop? I feel like a lot more paper florists are now starting to teach paper flower workshops in their town, in their city. And I think it would be really great to kind of give you like a one-on-one on how to prepare for a workshop. I think all three of us have done several different types of workshops. And I love that each of our workshops is a little bit different from each other. And we're all different parts of the world. Jesse's up north in Canada. I'm on the West Coast and Priscilla's on the East Coast. Different demographics. I think that's one key thing is understanding who your customers are, what level they're coming in at. I would say for the West Coast, a lot of my customers, they really want just to have a fun time. It's not really about delving in and learning the technicalities of it, but I know there's a lot of people that do that, but they're not ready to commit changing it from a hobby to something a little bit more than what we are doing. So I would say for doing a basic workshop for myself, I definitely understand who my clients are. And the really interesting part is I love to incorporate another vendor with my workshops. I've done a, quite a few workshops with like winery because it's really fun and it's really relaxing because I understand the clientele that I have on the West Coast, specifically in the greater Seattle area, is they love to drink and there's so many good wineries and they have really great facilities. And I love the people that work there because we have a huge wedding event that always go around. So they always have beautiful lighting, beautiful surroundings, and you can always have fun with wine. So I love that. <laughs> so, but the thing is, when you do have alcohol on the premise, you really need to change your workshop because when there's sharp objects like scissors, you have to be extra careful. So I always prep my petals because I don't want them. Because, you know, the boring part of doing paper flowers is actually cutting of the petal. The really fun part is when you actually get to color it and you really get to manipulate and put the flower together. So what I do for my clients is I just take out the hard work and just give them the fun work, which gives them a really fun experience. Jesse, what do you do for your workshop? Well, I, most of my workshops are at the paper place. So it's a different setting altogether. People aren't, aren't drinking wine. I can only imagine <laughs> if they were drinking wine, which I've been asked actually, if I could host, you know, in-house workshops where the girls are drinking wine, they're just celebrating. I can imagine that at objects and probably a lot of, you know, the, in, the completion rate is probably <laughs> like pretty low. <laughs> if you didn't help them cut their, their petals at the paper place, it's really cool because it is a, 
they do sell paper and everyone on their newsletter list are paper lovers and craft. And so a lot of them actually have experience in different craft. I, I mean, there are beginners that go to my workshops and intermediate and people who are very familiar as well with paper flowers. And it actually took me some time to kind of get to know my clientele, at least the ones that go to the paper place because of how specific their market is, people they reach out to. So what I've found is you do really have to consider the contingencies, meaning the, you know, the various factors, including skill levels and people's familiarity with cutting because there are beginners that do want to get involved but there are also other other students who have come to many of my workshops who I know are keen paper flower, you know, crafters. You really have to take into account that there may be different levels of what do you call it? They, they, they have different skills and they will cut at different times and they will have different skills. And taking that into account when I am designing the workshop, I think helps to minimize any of you know people feeling like they're not keeping up or that they can't do it or they're not having fun because like Quinn said, Said, most people just want to go there, feel like they learn something and have fun. So I think uh, having something that because I'm teaching at a uh, paper place where everyone is crafters, there is a level of skill that they already have. I've also the only other place I've taught is at a at an art center. So in Aurora and Elora, both of them are art centers and the clients for those are so different. It's, it's really amazing. There is such a variety of levels when you're at like an art center, because some people have never heard of paper flowers at all. They're just on the art center's newsletter list because they love art. And so some of them are not crafty at all. And usually the number of participants are quite large, you know, up to 30 people. So those can be very difficult to teach sometimes because of the levels and there's only one one person me. So what I found that helps is separating them into smaller groups, somewhat more manageable where I can, once I've explained the technique to the entire group, go to each table and reiterate the instructions again. And usually at the table, there may be one or two people who are more keen or at a higher level and they're generally very happy to give any guidance as necessary to the beginners. But yeah, I think Quinn, you're totally right. It's really important to know your clientele, to know who comes to your workshops, which you may not know at the very beginning. It's something that you may have to find out eventually um, through practice. But I think taking addressing, I think, the contingencies, the various factors that might make it difficult for one person versus another person in your workshop. I think addressing those is really important to make sure that everyone has fun, not just you know, people can, who can cut really fast. Exactly. How about you, Priscilla? What's the client like in the East Coast? Um, it's pretty similar to the West Coast, actually, for one the classes that I've done in California um, compared to the classes here in Virginia. The clientele have been pretty similar. They haven't been like fun wine drinking ones. <laughs> uh, but I can imagine if I was, you know, drinking wine and making flowers, I wouldn't finish very much. And I would definitely <laughs> cut all the petals. I've done it both ways where I pre-cut the petals. If it's a very complicated flower that's going to take a long time, I pre-cut the petals. And if it's a pretty basic flower, then I will have them cut the petals. I'll cut down like swatches of paper. So that part's easier for them, but I'll provide them a template. And when I have done that, uh, the people have always been happy that they have the template to take home. 
mm-hmm. but it's always been a little different. And then also I take into account when once I moved here, a lot of times the same people that are signing up. So then after they take in a few classes and I see, okay, this is like 90% the same people who just took their last class. Maybe I'll let them cut their own petals the next time. Cause I know that they're already familiar with the paper flowers and you know, they're going to move a little faster and then we're going to have extra time. So we'll have time to get that done. That being said, like every time there's always somebody who isn't quite understanding why you have to cut with the grain. And so, <laughs> yeah. always have backup paper with you in case they need to start over again. Always have How extra about what do you guys provide for your students when they come? I usually provide everything for them. So, but I'll do it two different ways, depending on how much they pay for the class. Like if it's a higher end, I will give them a whole kit. So they get to take home their glue gun. They get to take home their scissors, everything that's in the kit. If it's a lower price class, I'll have the glue guns there on the table. And then after they're done, they just leave it there, but they'll take home, you know, their paper. And I always have some extra paper for them if they want to try it again later at home. If it's one where they're cutting the petals, of course, they get their own template. But if they don't cut the petals, I also always have a few extra templates available in case they ask. As always, I have somebody ask for if I cut the petals for them, they ask for the template. So I will have a few available for them. What about you, Jesse? I try to keep the material fees between ten to fifteen dollars, and I use that as a cost because the reality That's an extra charge, right? Yeah, it's an extra charge. It is an extra charge, and actually, Heather and I at the paper place decided to separate the charge out. So, for everyone who's considering pricing, my personal experience is that it's easier for potential clients to look at the price and feel more comfortable if they can see where the student fee is and where the material fee is, versus one lump sum where they might think it might be a little bit too expensive, but that's because they don't know that part of it is a material fee that they have to pay regardless. It doesn't go to me. It's just, it goes to them actually, and they take it home. So we've found that marketing workshops that way, where you do break down the fee, it's often easier for them to swallow. So I do try to maintain a trail fee between 10 and $15, which I think is fairly reasonable. If there's something very special about the flower, then we increase it to 20. And that usually includes the paper. Paper enough to make, you know, maybe two to three flowers at home. It'll include, it usually includes floral tape and or glue. In the past, I've tried to rely on the glue that's at the paper place or at you know, whatever art center I'm teaching at, but because they don't use tacky glue, it's actually more difficult for the students if they're using just regular school glue because it doesn't dry as fast. Mm-hmm. So um, lately I've just decided, you know, I'm going to throw that into the material fee. They can pay for like a small, the two ounce bottles because it makes a, their job so much easier during the class. And then obviously the wires I include scissors. I don't scissors. I usually just supply. And then I, you know, take them back. Really, nobody wants to pay for scissors when they probably have scissors at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually I will, in, in the marketing materials, will tell them, you know, if you want to bring sharp tip scissors, bring them. Because there are crafters out there who have, you know, great small scissors. And they're not used to using like the heavier scissors that might be available through through the venue. So yeah, that's what I do. But yes, templates is a must. As much as I personally don't use templates, beginners love templates. And I mean, I think it's a a, a good way to kind of standardize everything so that everyone feels like they're on the right track and they're at the same level. Versus if you had no templates at all, I'm sure beginners, they might not have the confidence to cut the same way that someone else does. And you don't really want to create that that type of atmosphere where they're coming in, they're supposed to enjoy it, but they actually come in and they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. That's, you don't want to do that. You want to instill confidence as a teacher. Mm -hmm. So yeah, templates are a must, but I don't cut them for them. I have them cut it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I provide actually a one ounce glue 
which is perfect for making one type of flour, which and a little bit left so they can actually go home and do some more if they wanted to. And it's perfect. It's cheap. I can wholesale. So they're pretty much like, I would say about 40 cents a bottle. And so I know you can get them at Joanne's right now in the US for like 69 cents, which is, you know, any savings is fantastic. Of course, so, yeah. So the thing is, when you want to price your items you or your classes, you want to configure out your supplies. Do you want to add it into the cost? Do you want to separate it out? You want to make sure that you're either... I would say triple your cost because you have to include the shipping that you brought them in. You have to include the tax that you had to buy if you had if you didn't have a wholesale license. Costs that you you just can't do like oh I paid X amount like I paid fifty cents for it I'm going to charge them fifty cents. No, you have to really think about your gas, your mileage, your time to go out and physically buy the products, putting that in, packaging in, and also like how do you present the supplies to the students. Do you lay it out in a beautiful format? So when they walk in, they're like, oh my God, I'm getting ready to do paper flowers. Instead of everyone having just a lump in the center, make it more personalized. Put their name on it. The class is not extra large. That way you personalize it and you make it a little bit more fun for each of them. As supplies, definitely paper. Sometimes definitely on the price point in. If it's higher, I definitely give them scissors, a two ounce glue, several different types of paper. So not only do they get that specific color that we're working in the class, but they'll also get a couple other really generic colors that I find that like, you know, pink is always very popular. White is very good for coloring. This. And then I do like a red because it's, you know, it's fun. So sometimes people don't need to color. So that's a great way to do that. And then wires, of course. And then and I love one supply that I always have on hand. I highly recommend if you're doing workshop is pre-cutting your paper. And I do that with the guillotine cutter. It just makes everything super fast and easy and even. And so if you have petals are 2.5 inch, just measure it, cut it. And you have like a whole bunch to give to everybody. And it saves you money too, because you can actually split that fold of paper into several for the students. And then price point wise, Priscilla, how do you gauge on pricing for your classes? For me, my first... Thing that I do is look at the venue and other classes that they've had there. Because here, people are generally, at least in my area, they want to pay the same for most of the workshops. If one class is $35, they kind of expect all the classes to be $35. But then if I go to another venue and most are 65 and up, then I can raise my prices up a bit. And that will also determine what flower I choose, how much I can charge for the workshop. Like if it's $35 is the going rate at that venue, I'm not going to do a flower that's going to cost a lot to make that I can't, you know, add on and I'm not hard enough to make anything on it. But in general, this area, it's like 35 to 65 or 70, which is kind of a big range, but that's what I've found. And then sometimes I'll include this in the price and sometimes I'll just do this as something nice. I also include snacks. Like, you know, yes. juice, coffee, donuts, croissants, Dasani water that's sparkling or whatever. So it depends if they are, you know, paying for a fancier class, then they're going to get fancier snacks. Um, I <laughs> but sometimes I just eat the expense sometimes if it's just going to be an extra nice touch. But then if it's like at a venue where it's $35, I can still provide a nice snack for just a little bit of money. Yes. Brought candies like high chews. Oh, um, yeah know that I love high chews, so I always have it and it's easy and everyone loves high chews and I try to do things that are allergy free. So dairy free, nut free. That way you don't have to figure out like, oh, this person can't eat it or it can't be <laughs> Yeah. So you never know with allergies right. these days. Yeah. yeah. 
always mm-hmm. have an option. And I think found that when you have, like I've done one where I have no snacks or anything and every, in the beginning, everybody's kind of like, you know, sitting around like, okay, we're getting started. But when you have like refreshments, then they get a drink, they get their fat snacks, they sit down. And then some people, they just want to start right away, which is fine. Yeah. But then <laughs> they like once one person, if they're done earlier, then they can get their food and they can talk with the other people who are still finishing. So it's a nice little icebreaker, I think. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jesse? What do you do? I don't give any refreshments. <laughs> <laughs> um, everything. Yeah, I don't. We're just let's just get right back to work. Yeah, it's, I think it's just the locations that I've been at. I mean, the paper place. It's all business. I would say. And then the, the art centers is all business as well. So no, I, I, we don't, I don't have refreshments up. Although, you know what, at some of the art centers, they do have coffee on the side. So people can grab coffee and, you know, during the break, they can do that. But I mean, in terms of the pricing, it is a big range as well. Like you, Priscilla, it depends on the location. Um, the paper place when I first started, they were kind of getting back into the workshop. And so in the past, they used to have like a pamphlet every month of what workshops they had. I don't know what happened. They like stopped doing that and there were less and less workshops available. So when I started my paper flower workshops, we were kind of like starting from scratch. We didn't know what the market was like. We weren't sure who was interested. So we started off fairly, actually, no, I think we started off at like 40 or something like that, uh, plus material fees. But since then, we've increased the pricing just because the workshops have sold out really well. And the other reason, on or off the record, the other reason too is when you publish a book, there's a certain esteem that goes with it. And if you're going to undersell yourself, it's not going to be good for your marketing or your promotion or your book or your work in the long term. So there is actually a need for me to price my workshops at a certain price. That's just the reality. Otherwise, I really am underselling myself. And then people will actually ask, they will actually call into the shop and ask, why is this person charging so little when this other person is charging a lot? Does it mean that her work is not as good or she's not as good of a teacher? And this is coming from Heather herself. She said people have called, not about my work, but about some other people's workshops where they seem to be underselling themselves. So we are actually working on increasing the pricing a little bit. But I would say it depends on what your arrangement is with the venue. So with the paper place, I don't have to rent the venue. They pay me a flat fee. So I can set that flat fee and say, you know what, this is what I want to get paid. As long as we sell X amount of tickets, my my fees covered, they've covered their cost of having the employee there. So that depends on what that arrangement is. It could be different at different venues, depending if you're in Toronto versus if you're in like a small city or a town. Or it could be done proportionately, which is what some what I've done with some of the art centers. So with that, they inc- they're generally their courses are more expensive because it's on like their spring summer catalog. And so those classes are at least $75 plus material fees. But that's like, like Priscilla, you said, it's like probably the standard of what they charge for everything, for watercolors, for, you know, acrylics, all of that. And also because they've got, they actually make, I mean, it's, it's a nonprofit, but they actually make, they try to make a profit to cover their gallery costs. So I think it depends on, I think the first person you should ask is the venue that you're holding your workshop at. You know, what, like Priscilla, like what you said, like, what do they normally charge? What is their clientele like? And then on top of that, consider, well, what kind of flower am I teaching? What kind of skills am I teaching? What kind of expertise do I have? Like, what kind of experience do I have? Do I have one years of experience or do I have 10 years of experience? Because that experience 
that's a skill and that's a value that you're giving to your students. And there, there's a value to that, right? There's actual cost to it. In the very end, there's a range in what I in what I charge. Yeah. And another resource you should look at is their website. They'll list all the prices for the different types of workshop on there. Look through what they've done in the past, what they're doing in the future, gauge where your workshop falls in what they're displaying, and then figure out your price point for there. So let's move on to during the workshop. What happens during the workshop as the students are there, they're working on it. How do you gauge the level? Because that's when you get to know, are they beginner, intermediate, advanced? How do you split your time between the students that really need your extra help? But also because they're paying you the same amount as a beginner, the advanced students want your attention too. How do you balance that teaching? What do you do? Um, When we first start, I always have everybody introduce themselves and ask like how they heard about paper flowers. Have they ever made paper flowers before? Are they into crafts? And kind of like just give a little bit about themselves and that can help me understand their level. I also always ask if, if there's anyone there who's interested in doing this for a business versus if they're just there to do it for fun. Because I can tell the people that want to learn how to do this to sell it, they're going to be more intense and they are going to ask a lot more questions. They're going to need a little more time. But if it's like a group of two girls who are there to hang out together, this is just a fun activity. They actually don't want me sitting over their shoulder like, you know, all these pointers. They're just there to kind of like, oh, play along versus the lady who keeps raising her hand. I know I need to give her a little more attention because she's serious about this and she wants to learn. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the best way to know your students is to ask them, introducing them to the group. That always is a great icebreaker. And then also asking my, my excuse is always like, oh, does has have any of you guys worked with crepe paper before? Because that's a you know key thing without tell, asking, oh, have you actually made paper flowers? And then you'll see who raises their hands. And then I always say, well, you know, for everyone who is familiar with crepe papers, you know, please don't mind if I explain it again. And it's just trying to not kind of, you know, pick on people and not make it too obvious who is, you know, a beginner, who is an intermediate. But I think part of it is, yeah, the experience of navigating throughout the workshop, who needs more help, who doesn't. My greatest excuse is as an instructor, I love telling people to don't try to copy my flower. Whatever you do is beautiful. And it's, and it's true. The thing is, it is true. Like, don't try to make my flower because your flower is going to be different from mine. And like mine is like, if you're going to try to make something that looks exactly like mine, and if you can, great. But if you can't, I don't want you to feel like you failed because that's not the purpose of the workshop. I'm trying to teach you a process. So I'm always trying to impress upon my students that it's a process. Like you're not going to, you might not get it the first time. And you know what? Your flower might look exactly the same every single time like this, but that's your own style. There's nothing wrong with it. And so I think when you go around and you talk to your students, because you have to, you know, walk around, check out what they're doing, ask them if they need help or anything, like impressing upon them that they're doing a wonderful job, even if they're like, you know, they're saying, oh, I'm struggling. I don't know how to do this. You know, the glue sticky. I always get the complaint. I think impressing upon them that they're on track, they're doing it totally fine. The next time they do it, they'll even do it better. I think that reassures them because that's all they want. You know, I don't, that's what I, I think they want is that type of motivation and understanding from their teacher as opposed to, oh, the teacher's not even paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. I think my method's a little bit different. So I definitely walk around after I do the demo of what you need to do. I go around to each of the students and see where they're at. And if I purposely, if I see a student actually doing something incorrect, I'll actually step up and say, have you thought about doing this? And said, and then just carefully fixing their flower, 
so they're back on track with everybody because I want everyone to walk out with a, a pretty product so it's not so wonky and it's not so like, oh my God, I feel horrible because people want that. They do want that guidance and this is your opportunity. Even if you're an introvert, having that one-on-one experience is what a student really wants. And as a, a teacher and instructor, you need to be able to step up and say, oh, let me help you fix that. Or let me show you a different way to manipulate that particular flower or petal to get them back on track so their flower will result in a better product. That's a good point. And I also be um, ask them what they plan to use the flower for because there's always some people who want it for their weddings and they want all the tips they can get. Like, okay, well, if I'm doing this for a backdrop, what would you recommend? If I'm doing this for the bouquet, what do you recommend? So I try to get get more. And also it's a good just talking point because it gets quiet Mm -hmm. sometimes that everybody's like intense. And then, you know, you're like, okay, so (laughs) So let's talk about what are you going to use your flowers for? Yep. And then one thing is like, know your limit on how many students you can accept. Mm How many person can you do? Like for me, I can comfortably do 12 to 15 people. But if it gets more than 15, I always bring an assistant. At that point, you can't walk around with everybody and giving the appropriate attention because you need that other assistant to kind of like watch over them, make sure they're on the track. And if they need a little bit more, then they come in like, hey, after you're done with the student, do you mind walking over to this student, helping them? And then that's when it becomes valuable because they can troubleshoot and pull you when a student really needs your extra help. Mm -hmm. And then wrapping up the workshop, do you guys do anything special to do send like a survey? Do you send like a thank you card? So at the art centers, they do have a feedback form that they email to the students. And then the art centers will send back to me any kind of feedback that they've, you know, that the students have provided. I unfortunately don't have a say in terms of what questions are included in that feedback. So if you do do a feedback form, I think it'd be great if you could, because you're probably interested in different answers than the, you know, the venue. At the paper place, I don't do it at all, mainly because they're actually not my students. It's not like, for example, the the Toronto workshop that we're doing where people are buying tickets directly from us. Um, At the paper place, they're buying it from the paper place. And I'm just hired as a contractor to provide workshop services. We, as far as I know, they don't have any uh, feedback forms, but, but I know if there is negative feedback, you'll hear it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because people are not afraid to email and tell tell people what they think nowadays. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are. But I mean, definitely, if you can do feedback for them, yeah, I think it would be really helpful. How about you, Priscilla? What do you do? I just do like unofficial feedback, just asking them, you know, because I don't do any kind of follow-up. I don't really do that many workshops and I'm that's not my focus. But if I were to do like, you know, serious workshops where that's going to be my main form of income, then yeah, having surveys afterwards would be good. I generally, um, as we're wrapping up, I I asked them though, so what, so in our next class, what kind of flower would you like to learn? What would you, what was hard for you today that would be easier for you next time? Just questions like that. And then just kind of take note of, of what everyone's saying. Yeah. I do the survey during the entire workshop. I make note of as a walk around and make small conversation. I always ask them like, why are you here today? What other flowers do you want to make? And how is the class going? How's my teaching? Are you getting enough attention from me? And it's kind of like small little conversation that you're just naturally going to have as you talk to each individual. And I think having workshop is really the introvert experience because you're having that small group one-on-one experience versus an extrovert. You don't need to be bubbly and fun. It's all about because they want to learn how to do different flowers. I think teaching is a great method or pathway for a lot of paper floors because I know a lot of paper floors are introverts. And I think it's a great way to 
bring in more income and to spread the love of paper flowers. Because really the purpose of doing workshop for us, for me at least, is to spread the love of paper flowers so we can get more paper and more varieties coming in, which is really great. And it's been really exciting to see Seattle become more in love with paper flowers. I actually, sorry, off the record, on the record. <laughs> yeah, we are, a lot of us are introverts. So I think if you do get feedback directly from your students or in a you know, survey or whatever it might be asking about how you're teaching. I think that's really good insight into how you might be able to improve because as introverts, not every one of us are used to speaking to even a small, what might be considered a small group, Quinn, to you. For some people, it might be overwhelming. People are not used to talking to 10, 12, 15 people at the same time and have eyes on them. They might not be comfortable. Perhaps start with a smaller group and then grow from there until you are familiar with how to interact with people and feel comfortable talking to them without being really nervous or sweating or, or it's... I think it's just a personality thing. Oh, one thing I do want to note that I don't think we talked about is I always include step-by-step instruction for the, each of the students. So they walk away with it when they get home. Because most beginners, yes. even though you're visually showing it to them, they don't quite remember every single step. So it's always great to have a handout that they can take home because you're getting... Okay, I wouldn't be able to remember all the steps of my own flowers. <laughs> 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 Not beginners. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't have like a photogenic mind where I remember how to make exactly everything that you tell me to make. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so much fun, the Toronto workshop. I mean, I think that's one thing that I'm like really trying to figure out. It's like, how do we, because you're learning like seven, eight different things. It's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot, but it's going to be so amazing because I think muscle memory is a big component. And I think mm-hmm. that as we have the students do a lot of different things, and then we talk about the different applications of doing, like if you're doing this paper manipulation, you could do it on XYZ flower. Mm-hmm. If you're doing this center, think about doing this on XYZ flower. So I think yeah. trying to have it on cross platforms and cross flowers, I think that will be a really great way for students to walk away with like new tools. So I'm really excited yeah. to like show them a different way. Just like, okay, I'm making a hybrid tea rose and you're just doing it. And this is the only method that you're going to use the hybrid tea rose. But we're going to say, no, break mm-hmm. it down. That center that you're doing for that rose, think about mm-hmm. doing it for the gardenia. Because that gardenia is the same center that you're going to do with that beautiful swirl. So really fun different things that we're going to make you really think outside the box and how can you utilize different things. So I'm really excited for the workshop. If you guys are not signed up yet, you guys better sign up. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to be watching all your lives. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, really... Yeah, I would say this is like a one of a kind workshop. I don't know of any other workshop that tries to incorporate as many techniques and skills in an open format way where it's we're teaching you these things. Yes, they're linked to certain flowers that we'll be assembling, but they're also linked to other flowers that won't be at the workshop. But these are ideas we're throwing at you that you can use when you get home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really powerful because coming out of this workshop, we want you to feel empowered, you know, empowered to have the confidence to apply these techniques to, you know, any flower you want. Um, and I don't know of any workshop that does. It. I mean, I certainly don't do small workshops like this. Mm-hmm. Like small workshops are usually, you know, pretty straightforward A to B, yeah. like this is the flower you're making. Exactly. And yes, you might make comments and give tips and, but it's not the same as this workshop where we're literally teaching you, you're doing things hands-on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. If you guys aren't signed up, you guys have to. So <laughs> many people are, it's amazing. We've got, I think half of the people are from like the 
Greater Toronto area and Canada. And then half of the people are from the United States. Um, It's just amazing that all these creative people are going to come together and learn together. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited. And it's really fun because I've been following these these people on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to meet them in person. And the really cool part is some of the masterclass students are coming back. So I feel like that's a reunion itself. And just the community that comes from this and the friendship is just priceless. Oh, for sure. I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah, well, Priscilla, you could be there. <laughs> oh my, oh my. Nothing's holding you back. We're not holding you back. Oh, I think school's holding her back. <laughs> like, wait, you're already asking for time off. Mm. <laughs> no, you it's a weekend. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, you guys, for jumping on and talking about workshop. And I hope you guys got some valuable information and tips on this. And if you loved it, leave a comment below. We would really love to hear your feedback and tell us like what other topics that you want us to discuss we would love to do more podcasts like this to give you valuable tips and tricks talk to you later you guys bye Bye, guys hey jesse let's talk about the product line of design master i know there's just for flowers color tool sprays and tinted just to name a few which one do you like to use the most i love using the tinted and the color tool spray what about you? Yeah, I love the Just for Flowers myself. And I know Tinted is available at local craft stores like Michael's, but I feel like it's becoming more and more popular as I feel like more artists are using it to color their papers. Yeah. And essentially Just for Flowers and Tinted have the same chemical formula. It's just that Just for Flowers can be found at florist shops uh, versus Tinted, which is like you said, at craft stores. I've been talking about Tinted. Tinted is a translucent color spray. Mm-hmm. And I've found personally that when I spray on the crepe paper, it actually kind of makes the paper itself somewhat translucent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really gives a nice layering light effect. It really does. And talk about layering. I love using the tinted or just for flowers to lay on colors and to shift colors a little bit. So if I, if I have a really great yellow on my crepe paper, I like to use another yellow on it just to intensify that particular color a little bit more and shift it to a, a slightly brighter color. I also love layering colors like using the lemon, the Oceana peach, and the pink petunia on top of each other. And it dries so fast. So when I'm coloring things, I'm using it one right after the other. And it just blends in so well. Any greens? Yes. The fresh green and the lemon together just gives it a really fresh foliage color that I just love. I love using the the, the sepia. Mm-hmm. It just provides this nice shift in a bronzy color over any existing color on the crepe paper. And I also love using the plum because purple is Oh, my yes. <laughs> They're beautiful. I love the way that you use the design masters on your paper flowers. It's amazing. Oh, and one color I do want to do a shout out is the basil. It's under the color tool sprays. It's more opaque, but oh, it's such a beautiful green, especially when you're using on the leaf moss doublet paper. It's really, really fantastic. And then also for hydrangea, you guys, if you're thinking about coloring your hydrangea, because I know it was one of the paper flower challenge is using it on the hydrangea blue and the Delphinian blue and the purple pansy. It's just a beautiful, natural hydrangea color. Yeah, color tool is, it comes in such a variety of colors. It really is my go-to when I need to layer or if I'm missing a coloring color in the crepe paper. Mm-hmm. So I love basil as well. And I love layering it on the green leaf of the 180 grams. It's just oh, so yeah. Lightly, yes, light, but it has a more depth to it, and then burgundy too. Oh, um, yeah, tried burgundy in nature, pretty much in everything, and so burgundy is a great way of creating depth in your. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Uh, and then blush. I don't think we talk about blush. <sighs> I know. Yeah. It's such a blush good blush. Is, it's such a good blush. It's beautiful. I love using the blush and ivory to set the color tone mm-hmm. of white crepe paper. Mm-hmm. layer on top of that so it's kind of like tinting it either a slight, a, sorry, a slight pink or with a slight yellow color yeah one of my favorite combinations to use is actually the blush perfect pink together and i think the one key technique on that one is using the lighter color first and then offsetting it with a d- darker color but i've also done it the other way too and it's just a different way to get the result that you want so really think about what flower you're making and then experimenting is the key Absolutely. And speaking of Design Master just recently released a whole bunch of colors. I know, um, it's so exciting. Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, listen to these names. Herbal, Blue Violet, Picket, Heatherish, Red Clay, Coral Charming, Peachy, and Honeycomb. I mean, just think of the color scope, those names cover. I'm just so excited to see them in real person. Mm-hmm. So fun. I can't wait to experiment with them at the Toronto workshop. It's going to be so much fun. Oh my gosh, yeah. So Find out more about their color products and where to buy them on their website at www.dmcolor.com. 